0: Good morning. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lovers Lane, uh, along with Reagan. We co-pastor this service called Thrive. I'm glad to see you this morning as we are coming to a close in our sermon series. This is the second to last week. Like she said earlier, like Reagan said earlier, uh, Easter's next week. Didn't know if you knew that, uh, and it is on April Fool's Day. But yes, we're still having Easter. Uh, it's always fun when that lines up about once every century. Um, so today we're going to be coming towards the end of our Old Testament look, anyways. We're going to sort of transition into the new. New Testament. This sermon series we've been engaged in, if this is your first Sunday with us or if you haven't been here in a while, we've been talking about the Old Testament covenants, and how they help us to understand the new covenant that Jesus establishes with us uh, through the cross and proven by his resurrection. Um, And and so we've looked at the first story of Adam and Eve, and then we've looked at Abraham and Moses and and Noah, and we've looked at at the priests, and and today we're going to look at a a man named David, uh, a king of Israel. It's the final covenant that God's going to establish with Israel uh, before we get to the new covenant next week. Before we talk about David, though, I want to talk about uh, this basket I've got here. If you were walking in this morning, uh, you saw some sheets of paper on the welcome table uh, that had a simple question on it. The first album that I bought with my own money, dot, dot, dot. Now, if you didn't get here in time to fill this out, well, that's on you. Um, But... (laughs) <laughs> For those who did, uh, we've got some good answers. I, I, this one I like. Spice by the Spice Girls. Very good. That sounds like an album that a kid would buy with their money. License to Ill by the Beastie Boys. We've got a renegade in the room. I like that. Space Jam soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. You 2 The Joshua Tree. Awesome classic album. Michael Jackson, bad. How many Michael Jackson was your first album? What? Oh, D.D. bought Thriller. Well, no, this one says bad, so it might, yeah, sorry. Uh, Partridge Family, going back a little bit further, all right, all right. They knew how to get down. Um, Oh, someone was having a really rough mid-90s, Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. That's, that's tough. Um, Elvis Presley There were two that got repeated I thought was interesting ACDC, Back in Black, two of you Somebody had some really you know, Upset Christian grandmothers Back in the day Don't they sing about hell? You know um, Oh man, there's some good ones Carole King Tapestry, Chicago Transit Authority Kiss Rock and Roll All Over The Wallflowers There's, I mean, Grease soundtrack, I guess That's cool Um <laughs> We had a lot of good responses. I'll tell you, the one that I bought, and I told people that were coming in, I was like, fill it out. Mine's more embarrassing. Mine wasn't an album. It was a single, a smash hit in the mid-'90s, a summer song called Mbop by Hanson. Uh... I wore that CD out, man. My poor grandparents. I made, so I, went, I would spend my summers with my grandparents in Georgia. They were like 30 minutes away from the nearest Walmart. I made them drive me to go buy this single, and then I probably played it constantly in their house. I loved Hanson, and I loved Umbop so much. And then that next school year. This was like in '95, maybe I can't remember the exact year. Um, The uh, Grapevine Mills Mall was opening. You know, Grapevine Mills Mall was like the—it was a big deal. If you were here in DFW when it opened, you know, it was a big deal when it opened. It was the first of its kind kind of outlet mall. It was this huge loop thing. Mall walkers were really excited, and uh, and so to to coincide with the opening, to really pump it up, they were going to bring out for a mall concert Hanson. Right. Which must have been the very last mall concert. I'm like, how are they still doing mall concerts? And they chose to do it on a Tuesday. At like 10 a.m. because they're Hanson and they're the biggest thing in the world and yeah of course we can do a mall concert on Tuesday at 10 a.m. people are gonna show up and so you know everyone at school is talking about this because of course they're the biggest thing ever and you know oh you going yeah I'm gonna go yeah you're gonna go yeah I'm gonna go and so I go into my parents I'm go mom dad guess what Hanson's gonna be at, at grade Five Mills can I please go and my mom's like no. No, you can't go. Like, my, my <laughs> I was like, are you going to skip school to go to a concert? You're, you're in fourth grade, Scott. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And I was like, you guys are the worst. You're so lame. Literally everybody's going to be at this concert. And they're like, not everybody's going to be at this concert. Parents, you've been, no, not everybody's going to do it. Everyone's just saying it. They're not all doing it. But I'm telling you, everybody's, no. Okay. So I go to school on that Tuesday. And I walk into my classroom and it's the teacher, it's a kid that moved there literally a week ago, and the foreign exchange student from Pakistan. And me. The teacher sees me walk in like, is surprised, has this look of like actual surprise. What are you doing here? Says the teacher at eight o'clock on a Tuesday, right? What are you doing here? I said, my parents didn't let me go to the concert. He said, well, like, no one's here, so we're just going to do some word searches, and we'll listen to it on the radio. What? Are you kidding me? I sat in my classroom and listened to the concert on the radio. I mean, I, and of course, the whole time my mom, when I get home, I'm so mad at my mom. She's like, Scott, you're not going to remember this when you're 30. Well, guess what? <laughs> guess who just turned 30 and is preaching about it? Cult of personality, man, it's a strong thing, yeah? I mean, it, it, sometimes it wraps us up in buying that very first album that we just have to have, and oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. You know, everyone's always going to love Hanson, right? And, and and it's so funny how quickly these celebrities that we worship, that we build our lives around, that we reschedule ourselves around, that we reprioritize around they end up not having the staying power that we need them to. I mean, Hanson, I mean, can anyone name more than one Hanson song? Like, really? Like, and if you can, that's embarrassing for you. Don't. Um, <laughs> like, I can't tell you anything that Hanson's done since that single that I bought and that mall concert that I'm still fretting over. Um, and that's the way that celebrities go. They, 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 they take so much of our, of our energy and our passion and our, our excitement, and, and they inevitably kind of fizzle and fade out. You know, it's really hard to, to occupy that space for long. Either they sort of fade into obscurity or they really disappoint us. They, they, they do something to break our trust. We love nothing more than to watch celebrities rise, but really we love to watch them fall, right? And, and, and so my question for us this morning, you know, we had the kids walking in and parading with the palms. And maybe you have no idea what that's about. In the Methodist Church, this is Palm Sunday, right? This is a, a special Sunday in the Christian church, and it's a day when we remember Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem one week, uh, or the week of, that he was going to be crucified and, and a week before he would be resurrected, um, and it's this moment when Jesus is, is celebrated for, for a, about a millisecond. Uh, by the city of Jerusalem, um, heralded as the son of David is the, is, the, is the title they bestow upon him. And my question is, when Jesus rides in on Palm Sunday, is what we see and is what Jerusalem sees really a celebrity? And is that what we need Jesus to be? Because there's a lot of people that will come riding into town, and we'll get out the palm branches. Let me tell you, Grapevine Mills Mall in 95, we had the palm branches out. Yes, Hanson! You know, all the fourth graders were skipping class. But is that what we need to celebrate on Palm Sunday? Do we need Jesus to be just another celebrity, just another cult of personality, just another person that's going to fizzle out and fade or disappoint us? Who is it that we celebrate on Palm Sunday? So today we're going to be talking about this covenant of David. Um, king David was a, a, a big figure in Old Testament theology. He's a huge figure for the Jewish faith. Uh, he was the greatest king to ever rule over the nation of Israel. He, he brought unity to the northern and southern kingdoms. He was a conqueror. He's the guy that slew, David, uh, slew Goliath. That's how his story started. He took a rock, put it in a sling, and knocked out the biggest guy in the world. I mean, you know, David was the man. He was the man. And, and God's going to meet David with a covenant of promise. And it, it, I think what David hears and what the kingdom of Israel hears is one thing, but what God is saying is something different. We're going to talk about that today, and we're going to end up in Palm Sunday by the end. So let's read 2 Samuel. This is Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through 17. Before we do that, let's say a word of prayer. Gracious God, on this Palm Sunday... Sunday of celebration but also a Sunday that we we know what's coming. And we know that by the end of this week we will have tortured you and literally put you through hell and and yet you will have redeemed us in that same very week. As we begin this week together, God, I just ask that you'd meet us, you'd meet us with grace and mercy and love, that you'd meet us in this text, you'd meet us in these words that we're about to read that you'd make them come alive for us. Help us to understand the truth of your covenant with David and, and, and why it's so powerful on Palm Sunday today. In your son's name we pray, amen. So beginning in verse four, you'll see it on your screens, but that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Nathan's not really important for today. He's like David's uh, chief advisor kind of guy. He, 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 yeah, that's all you need to know. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I've not lived in a house. He's talking about a a temple. I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. We talked about that in a couple sermon series ago. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts... I took you from the pasture, the, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. David was very victorious in battle. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, giving them you know, firm roots, firm foundations, so that they may live in their own place, They're going to have their own country, their own nation, and be disturbed no more. No one's going to attack you. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Sounds pretty good. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your own body. And I will establish his kingdom. So this is where he's getting into the prophecy section. This is where Jesus enters. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, cool. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, a previous king. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all his vision, Nathan spoke to David. So a little bit of background here to understand why this is important. Um, in, in the Old Testament, we see this back and forth between Israel and God, meaning the nation of Israel, um, crying out to God because, you know, keep in mind, this is, a, this is a fledgling nation surrounded by really big, powerful empires, Egypt and Babylon and Assyria and Persia, and, and what they want more than anything is to be taken seriously, and if you're going to be taken seriously, what you need is a king, right? You need a figurehead. You need someone who commands respect and power in the area. They say, God, we need a king, and God says, no, you've got me. You don't need a king. You've got me. God, we need a king. No, you don't. You really don't need a king. God, we need a king. We want a king. We need a king. And this back and forth happens over the course of chapters and books in the Old Testament until finally God says, fine, fine. If you want a king, I'll give you a king. Now, the problem is that, that kings in, the, in these days are, are different than kings that we think of today. Kings and queens today are kind of figureheads, right? There's not very many kings that have real, like, uh, you know, tangible power. Uh, back in these days, kings were, were godmen, Right? They, the fa- think of Pharaoh in Egypt. I mean, Pharaoh was thought to be God incarnate on the earth, a representative of, of the, the deity, right? So kings were more than just a figurehead. They were more than just someone to stand up and look nice for the pomp and circumstance. They were seen as God's presence here on earth. You can see why God would have been resistant to this idea, right? Especially for a nation that he's trying to lead. They say, we need a king, we need a king. Fine, I'll give you a king. And the best king that Israel ever got was King David. King David was brave. He was fearless. He fought Goliath. He fought and won battles. He brought prosperity to the, to the land. He brought unity to the land. So much so that we'll find that you know, hundreds of years later, hundreds and hundreds of years later, they're still waiting for this new son of David because that's how great David was. But David also had a dark side. You know, David liked being king. David had a bit of a problem with, with ego, right, which you could understand. If you were a king in the day and age when kings were kind of God men, right, when you're the king, I mean, that's, that's going to make you feel pretty good. David fell into kind of an ego trap. He liked being liked. He loved being loved. He liked his position. And, and here's the thing. The first thought that runs through your, when you're king, if the first thought that runs through your mind is always you, that's a problem. You know, Earlier we sang this song Hallelujah, which is one of my absolute favorite songs of all time. Our team did a great job with it. One of the verses um, that, that is lifted up, it's talking about the story of David a little bit in that song, if you, if you listen to the lyrics. and It says, You had your faith, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof, and her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. You know, it's talking about David and Bathsheba, right? It's talking about David seeing this, this beautiful woman uh, that, that is not his wife, that is actually married to another man, that he finds so beautiful that he's got to have her. And he's king, so he should be able to do whatever he wants, right? And so he, he sends her husband off to war to the very front lines knowing he would die so that she could be a part of his harem, right? So David's not a perfect person, in fact, David falls into this ego trap. He, he, he thinks that being a king he sort of takes this turn at one point, and it becomes a lot more about him than it becomes about his people. A really good king, their first thoughts is going to be you, not themselves. The first thought's going to be the people, not themselves. And, and that's the problem with, with cult of personality or the celebrity culture that we have, and that sometimes I think we apply to Jesus, is that celebrities don't really think about us, do they? Not really? You know, I mean, when they're on the camera, you know, who do you want to thank? I want to thank my fans. i got the best fans in the world. Oh, the fans. The fans make this great. You think, you know, I just went and saw Game Night, the movie Game Night, uh, starring Jason Bateman. Really funny, by the way. Um, went and saw that last night with Reagan. I love Jason Bateman. I've seen all of his stuff. I love Arrested Development. One of the best shows ever made, hands down. I know for a fact Jason Bateman has never walked up going, I wonder how Scott's doing today. Like, it just doesn't, it's, it's, it's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. I don't think Jason Bateman's first thought when he wakes up is the fans. I really don't. Maybe I'm cynical. I think that they say thank you to the fans when the camera's in front of their faces, and maybe there's a part of them that really is thankful they have fans to support them. But I don't think they go wake up and go to sleep every day thinking about me or you or any of us. And that's, to me, one of the problems with the celebrity culture is that celebrities, unfortunately, they're, they're going to fall into the ego trap. You know, their lives are really about them, and, and, and that's the way that their whole world is built up. And so if Jesus becomes a celebrity, if Jesus becomes a king like David, if Jesus becomes this king whose only thoughts are really about himself and his own throne and, and how he can build himself up, well, that's, that's going to let us down eventually. How badly do we want a little K king? That's a question I've got for us today. How badly do we want a little K king? king. I think one reason that we turn to cults of personality, that we turn to celebrities to fulfill us, that we 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 follow them so closely, we invest so much of our emotional energy in them and in their lives is because we want these little K kings that we think are going to make us feel good. We want someone to celebrate. We want someone to put up on a pedestal. We want someone to wave a palm frond for. And, and the problem is is like David that if we keep turning to these little K kings, God knows this from the beginning, which is why he pushes it off. If we keep turning to these little K-Kings, we're going to be disappointed in the end. I don't care who it is. I don't care what political leader, what celebrity, what figurehead, what, what you know, community person, what uh, family member, what friend. Whoever you are that, that, that you're putting up on a pedestal and saying, Ah, good, I've got a little K-King that I can worship and adore and I can fawn over and invest myself emotionally completely in. They're, get, they're either going to fizzle out or they're going to disappoint us at some point. It's just the way that life works. If we make our lives completely built around somebody that's a little K king, even if it's King David, it's the greatest king Israel had ever known. I mean, David was far from perfect. David was far from perfect. I think sometimes we accidentally treat Jesus like a little K king, where we, we're only really on Jesus' side until we feel like, he surprises us or he does something unexpected or he does something that challenges us. And then we want to treat him like a celebrity and knock him off the pedestal. Right? You know, who does, what does Jesus really know anyways? Really? I mean, come on, you know, I think we need to treat Jesus like the King that he really is because when we do, when we allow Jesus to be the King that he really is, we allow him to be a capital K King, uh, not just a celebrity, someone that we can trust in and follow long um, it's going to change the way that we understand our faith. Now, Jesus rides into Jerusalem in just a second. He rides into Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 21. And the people there, they're looking for a little K king again. They're looking for the new King David. They're looking for someone to put all their faith in. They're looking for someone to put up on a pedestal who's going to uh, bring them glory, who's going to bring their country glory, uh, someone who's going to be just like David was. They've got the good old days syndrome, right? You ever have the good old days syndrome? Um, whenever you lose your little K king, a lot of times you get... a good old days syndrome. Matthew 21, Jesus rides into town on the back of a colt. Everyone in town hears that the son of David is coming. Son of David is coming. That's a big thing for the Jewish people. The son of David has been prophesied. They've been waiting for him for hundreds of years. They're sitting under Roman thumb. They're sitting sitting under oppression. They're they're, they're sitting under injustice, and they're going to have a King David that's going to come bring justice to the land, who's going to free them from their oppression, who's going to take out Rome just like David took out Goliath, right? Doesn't that sound exciting? Don't you want someone like this? This sounds good. In fact, people start getting worked up before he even gets there. Let's all work ourselves up. Everybody, let's start clapping our hands. Everybody gets excited, yeah? No, no, I'm serious. Clap your hands, yeah? We're, We're getting excited. And we're Son of David, Son of David, Son of David, Son of David, really loud, Son of David, really loud, come on, come on, really loud, really loud, and then he walks in, wait, that guy, literally, this is how the scene goes, let's read it together, Matthew 21, verses 7 through 13, tell me I'm wrong, they brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them, of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! They're all worked up! Woo! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple and he overturned the temple, or tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, and it is written, in my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. I love this scene. Here's a group of people ready for another little K king, someone who's going to make them feel good, someone who's going to thank the fans, someone who's going to... Bring them the glory and give them that, oh, that good feeling of being a part of the crowd again. Let them, let them feel that, that surge of that energy and, and in rides this guy. I got to imagine wearing kind of dirty robes on the back of a colt, pretty meek and mild looking. This? This is the son of David? This is the guy we've been waiting 500 years for? I mean, can you imagine? Can you hear yourself saying this? You've worked yourself up. You're expecting, this is the air. This is the prophecy of the, David killed Goliath. I mean, he was a mighty warrior. His, his, his symbol is a lion, right? Ah, scary, cool. This, this is what we've been waiting for, really. And then to make matters worse, to make matters worse, the first thing he does he goes in and starts flipping tables over in the temple. I mean, if you heard the prophecy that God shared, the covenant that God shared with David, it talks so much about the temple. You know, this new son of David, he's going to establish a house, a house of cedar. He's going to establish an eternal kingdom. He's going to establish my temple forever, right? This guy, this Jesus of Nazareth, he comes in and he starts making a mess. That wasn't supposed to happen. You're supposed to come in and make everything nice. Maybe spit shine the floors. What are you doing flipping stuff over? We're doing pretty good here. Son of David, if you're even that. The mistake that I think that Israel makes with Jesus is they want to treat him like a celebrity. And the problem is celebrities don't fulfill us. They don't. Little K kings don't fulfill us. They they let us be a part of a crowd. They let us feel good. We get worked up. We get a lot of energy. We get to be part of something, a movement, something. Um... But there's not any staying power there because what we really want them to do is to to give us exactly what we want. right? We want God to give us a king even though that's not what we really need. We want David to give us an empire and glory even though God's mind is on bigger things than just one empire and one set of glory. We We want this new son of David to kick out the Romans and to give us all these things we want right now. And Jesus is thinking about eternal salvation for all of humankind problem with celebrities the problem with kings with little k is that they are so small-minded and they're so uh, focused on just giving us what we need right there that second so that we don't go away so we don't leave them there's a lot of insecurity in the little k kings a lot of insecurity in the celebrities they they don't think about us but they don't want us to go away and we love it we love being part of something we love loving them we love that they love us we love that they love that we love them there's just so much love and it's about this thin and that's not at all what Jesus offers them. And you know, it's funny, when we get to Easter time, we, we start to treat Jesus kind of like a celebrity, too, right? Who's got their Easter clothes picked out for their family? We do. It's fine. Can't wait to Instagram my daughter. She's cuter than yours. It's great. We're going to get more likes. It's fine. I mean, we, we all get gussied up, and we all go to brunch, and we all make sure we're all at church. We're going to see a lot of faces we haven't seen in a while. It will be great to see them. We'll see them again at Christmas. <laughs> Hope they give it offering. <laughs> we make a big deal out of it, and we, we hem and haw over it, and it's, it's like this, we're throwing this big party for this big celebrity, and I, do you think that's what Jesus is looking for? I don't know. I mean, we're still going to do it, and I'm going to love it. I love Easter Sunday. I love the pomp and circumstance. I love all the big celebration, and, the, and we should. We should celebrate. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's going to be fantastic, but is that all that Jesus wants? Is, is that all that Jesus is? Someone to throw a big party for, a celebrity that deserves everyone to show up to be seen at the big soiree. Do we really want another celebrity to celebrate? I don't, I don't think I do. Do you really need someone that, that's going to fizzle out and fade or, or disappoint you again? Because if you're looking for a glitzy, glam celebrity who loves to be celebrated, Jesus is going to disappoint you. I'll guarantee you that. You know, Jesus doesn't get his hair styled. <laughs> he doesn't shop at Brooks Brothers. He gets his sackcloth off the clearance rack, right? Jesus turns tables and temples. Can you imagine if Jesus showed up tomorrow next week in our church and just started knocking microphones over we would escort him out very politely wouldn't we <laughs> jesus isn't about that jesus challenges powerful people you might not think you're powerful but in the global spectrum everyone in this room is powerful jesus challenges us jesus picks up a cross This week, And he asks us to take up a cross as well. This is the kind of disappointment we're going to find is that Jesus isn't going to allow us simply to wave palm fronds. Palm fronds are are light. They're easy to shake back and forth. Jesus says, that's fun. That's easy. How about this cross? Will you pick that up and follow me? How's that for a king? I'm routinely disappointed by Jesus because I want Jesus to leave me the way I am. I want Jesus to leave me alone. Sometimes I want Jesus to let me choose the easy path. I want Jesus to let me be a little bit meaner, or a little bit you know more insular, a little bit more private, a little bit less loving. I I want Jesus just to let me be. And Jesus shows up in Jerusalem and does not let Jerusalem be. He's not about bringing Jerusalem glory. He's not about feeding their egos or even feeding his. He's about establishing righteousness in the house of God. He's about establishing holiness in the people of God. He's about establishing love and mercy for the whole world. And those things sound nice when a pastor rattles them off in a sermon, but, guys, that's tough work because it leads to a cross. That's tough work. And so this Sunday, this Palm Sunday, I'm putting down my palm branches for a second, and I'm really considering, who am I celebrating on Palm Sunday? Who am I actually ready to follow? Who am I calling King with a capital K? Am I looking for a a, a thin celebrity Jesus that lets me get dressed up and go to church and feel good about myself and go home? Or am I looking for some depth and some meat in a real Jesus Christ who is going to challenge me more than anything else in this world, who will never disappoint me unlike anything else in this world, and who will lead me to a cross that will change my life forever? This Palm Sunday, our church is feeling challenged by this Jesus. We're feeling challenged not to just sit in the celebration, but to actually do something to follow this capital K King. At this point, I want to invite uh, Justin Irwin and his father, Mike, and I'm going to ask Reagan to come up as well. I want to introduce them to you as they're, as they're coming up to the stage. Justin is a high school junior, Um, He goes to Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Um, He was there um, on the day of the shooting, happened recently, and one of his close friends was killed in the shooting. Justin, thanks for being here. Mike, thanks for being here. Justin and his father uh, have come to Dallas, Texas, all the way to Dallas, um, to be with us today and this evening for an event that we're calling Parkland Moves Us here at Lover's Lane. Um, we started this event, we started planning this event in response to the Parkland shooting um, because I don't know if you're like me but I'm sick and tired of thinking and praying and I would like for us to actually be able to do something anything as a community to address this stuff um, I was sharing with some people yesterday at, at the march that I've been a reverend for three years now almost and I have preached eight sermons following mass shootings and, and I, I, I just don't know what else to say on the subject quite honestly And so we've invited Justin and his father, and we've invited several community um, political leaders and candidates for office to be here this evening for a night of listening and a night of conversation. Because the reality is none of us are walking into City Hall or into Congress or into state legislature rooms uh, this week, next month, next year. Um, What we can do is we can be a part of changing the culture of division that is keeping things like this conversation from moving forward. The the problem is we just don't talk anymore. What we do is we talk past each other, we yell at each other, but we don't gather around tables and actually sit and listen and talk. And so Justin is going to be a part of our sitting and listening and talking this evening. He's going to be interviewed by uh, Sarah Marcellus Luganbill, our Student Ministries Pastor. I want to tell you one thing about Justin that impressed me. He obviously a number of his classmates went to Washington this weekend for the march that was held there. And I was talking to Sarah, and she said, you know, it was the the most interesting thing. Um, Justin told me that he didn't feel led by God to go to Washington, that he had classmates who were going, but that just, it didn't feel right to him. But then when Sarah reached out to him, we have a church member who, there's a connection. It's one of those, like, six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. You know, it's a God movement kind of thing. Sarah reaches out to Justin and says, would you come and, and, and be with us at Lover's Lane? Would you be a part of this night of holy conversation and listening? Could we hear from you, and, and could you help bless us with this event? And Justin said, yeah. And he said, not only yeah, like, I feel like God is calling me to be there tonight. So Justin and his father have followed God's calling to be with us this evening, and I hope, I hope that all of you, whatever you have going on tonight from 5 to 7, if you can cancel it, cancel it. If you're not doing anything, get out of your sweatpants and come back up to church. OK We have child care. Someone say, "Amen. We have child care, so there's that. Um, it's going to be, a, 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 like I said, a night of holy conversation, holy listening. Um, this is not a night about having an agenda. We're going to hear from a myriad of voices. We're going to hear from a myriad of leaders who are going to have very different takes on, on what we should do moving forward. The point of tonight is that we actually have conversation. That we actually talk about this, that we sit in our room and we talk, and more importantly, we, we listen to the hearts of other people to understand how, how we can do something moving forward together, because this has to stop. Amen? At this time, I'd like for us to pray over Justin and his father in this evening. Um, I'd like to pray in the spirit of a Christ who comes into Jerusalem ready to shake things up, ready to kick us out of our comfortable zones, and ready to establish righteousness and holiness and love and mercy for everyone. I'd like us to pray together. If you feel comfortable reaching your hand out, I encourage you to do so. If you don't, I encourage you not to do so. That's okay too. But uh, Reagan and I are gonna lay hands on Justin and his father and we're gonna pray over them this evening and just this time of moving forward together in the spirit of Christ as a community of faith. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we don't need any more Little K Kings in our life. We don't need another celebrity in our life. What we need need is a Lord and Savior. We need a capital K King who can lead us in righteousness and in holiness and in love and in mercy. When it's difficult, when it costs us something. God, we need you today as the people of Lovers Lane. As this evening we engage in a dialogue around a very sensitive subject. God, we need you to fill this space and to fill our hearts and our minds and our ears and our mouths. We need you to allow us to listen with open ears and open hearts. We need you to, we need you to guide our conversations so that we can talk with people and not just at people. God, we need you to inspire us, to inspire others, to, to lead a, a shift in our culture a culture of division, a culture of violence, a culture of anonymity, a culture of isolation. God, that's what the church's work is. God, I ask that you would bless Justin and his father Mike, that you would would bless their time here, that you would not just bless their travels and their safety while they're here, but God, that you would bless their presence, bless their voices, what they represent, who they represent, God, I'd ask that you'd give Justin the courage to speak in front of a bunch of faces he doesn't know, to share openly and honestly and from the heart. God, I ask that you would allow us to receive that with openness and gratitude. And God, I ask that when we leave this place this morning and we leave this place this evening, that we would take the mindset of being culture changers with us, that we would know we serve a capital K King, that we serve the same Christ who rode into Jerusalem in dirty rags and on a colt who went into a temple and turned the tables over, who walked through this week and ended up on a cross and who rose from an empty tomb, not so that we could be comfortable, not so that we could be celebrated, not so that we could be glorified, not so that we could feel good, about ourselves but so that we could trust in you and we could find our value in you and we could find our worth in you and we could know that you desire more health, more goodness more righteousness, more holiness more mercy and love can we trust in you God? can we trust in you to never disappoint to never lead us astray to never fade or fizzle out lead us God as our King lead us. Amen.